President Joe Biden. Got your attention now, don't I? <laughs> Senator Bill Cassidy. Senator John Kennedy. Congressman Mike Johnson. Governor John Bell Edwards. Representative Alan Seaball. Senator Barry Milligan. Mayor Adrian Perkins. Councilman Grayson Butcher. School board member Barry Rochelle. If you live where I live, that's your governor, government, government authorities. How many times have you prayed for them? These people are my government. Those, in this case, all men, those men God has placed in authority over my life and said, submit to them, pray for them, respect them, honor them. We come again to the topic of authority as we look at government authority today. We've been studying Luke's record of Jesus' teachings, Jesus' interactions in the temple in Jerusalem, and it's all been about authority the last several weeks when Jesus cleared the temple. He came up and he cleared the temple and said, this is not what should be going on in my house, and he got up and began to preach, and they questioned his authority. They said, by what authority do you do this? Who gave you the authority to stand there and teach us and tell us how to live? And then last week, Jesus, continuing again on authority, told a parable, and the obvious point of the parable was that the religious leaders were abusing authority, they were rejecting Jesus' authority, and he's warning the people, don't follow them as they reject Jesus' authority. Now today, Jesus deals with the authority that God has delegated to government. He's, dele he's delegated authority to the government. He's delegated authority to religious leaders. He's delegated authority to fathers and households. He's delegated authority to teachers in schools. God is the ultimate authority, and he has delegated authority to, to humans that are sinful. How do we respond to such authority, in particular, with our text today, how should Christians respond to our government in our lives? Father, we ask for your help. Everything in my heart and everything most likely in the hearts of the people here wants to resist, to a large extent, the authorities that we see in government. But that's sin according to your word. And you call us to repent. And we need your grace and we need your help obeying these teachings. It's in Christ's name that we ask for that help. Amen. All right, so in our previous verses, we saw it ended with the religious authorities. Jesus spoke a parable against them, and they said, all right, we're done with this dude, Jesus. And they began to plot to kill him. They began to lay hands on him, not to pray for him, but to kill him. So what did they do? Well, we see in verse 20, look at what they did. Verse 20, verse of chapter 20. So they watched Jesus, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him to the authority and jurisdiction of the government. They sought, pause there, they sought 
They sent spies, a secret surveillance team, to catch on the video on their cell phones what Jesus was saying so they could take it to the religious, or excuse me, to the secular government, governing authorities as a religious people dealing in the religious church activities, if you will, that saying, all right, we're going to take him to the governing authorities and we're going to try to get him in trouble with the governing authorities. And notice Jesus has been so humiliating them with his wisdom and with his authority that was beyond all of theirs that they're no longer going to do their own confronting of Jesus. They're going to send these little secret delegation so, that he'll, so they'll quit being embarrassed in front of the people because at this stage of the gospel, it's all about the will of the people. And so they, they have, Jesus seems to have captured the will of the people and they're trying to regain their authority in the eyes of the people by tearing Jesus down so that they could get back in control. And when you look at the, the words at the trials that we looked at, we kind of fast forwarded at Easter time and we looked at the words of the, the trials of Jesus. I went and researched it and looked at it again and the text literally says, here's their charge against Jesus as to why he should be crucified. They literally said, he is forbidding, quote, forbidding people to give tribute to Caesar. Now, I want you to listen to what we're studying today because that's not what I see Jesus doing. But that's what their charge was against Jesus. You see, what they're doing with this secret surveillance is they're just trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to build a a case against him. They're trying to build evidence against him so that he could be accused of sedition, which is accused of telling people, don't submit to Caesar, because that was an offense that was punishable by death. And so they were trying to build this case that this Jesus, who claims to have the authority of God's son, king of God's kingdom, is saying, don't don't give tribute to Caesar, and that's what they end up charging him with. Now, is that really what he says? Well, they come to him, or they send spies to watch him, and then what do they do? Look at verse 21. Well, they asked him, teacher, we already been told by Luke they weren't sincere, so we know these words are not sincere. They're just flattering him. They're setting Jesus up. They're trying to set him up for the fall. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and we know you show no partiality, but truly you teach the way of God. So we have a, a sincere question. That's baloney. This is a setup. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Pause there. So they're, they're, they're not sincerely wanting to know, hey, there's this discussion, should we pay our tribute or not? They are setting Jesus up. Luke's already told us they're not sincere, and we know what happens at the trial. They totally twist everything that happens in this scene, trying to take Jesus. They're just trying to legally kill Jesus. That's what they're doing. So they're asking Jesus this loaded question. Now I say it's a loaded question for several reasons. First of all, when he says, should we give tribute to Caesar? The word tribute refers to a tax that they were to pay once a year. If you remember, there was a census taken and that census was not really just about how many people we have. That census was really the Rome's way of keeping their thumb on the people's heads to say, hey, look, we know who you are and we're still gonna make you answer to us because the tax, this tribute, which was also called a tax, was a very minimal amount. It wasn't a big part of their raising money for the government to operate. It was really just a day's wage. It was a denarius. It was really just a way of saying, you still need to, 
admit that we are your rulers. We have authority over you. And so this is controversial because the people hated paying their tax. They're not like us. We love to pay our taxes. And these people had hardened hearts against their government and they hated paying their taxes. And so it was, it was a loaded question because it's like, well, let's see what Jesus does with this. Just bring up taxes in any situation and nobody's happy. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. And so they were, they were going to pay their, their, they didn't want to pay their taxes. And so they, hey, what do you say, Jesus? Should we pay our tax or not? But it wasn't just a tax. It was a tribute. It was a way that Rome said, all right, we're the Roman oppressors. We're the Roman rulers over you as God's people, as Israel, who think you answer to God. Well, guess what? You answer to us as a secular government. And so this was a reminder of you'll pay tribute to the king. You'll pay tribute to Caesar. Now, Rome let them kind of do their religious thing. And so what you ended up having was church and state. Very similar situation that we face today. You have the religious people trying to operate according to their way of living, their laws, what their Bible, their holy scriptures say, and yet they have to live with this reality of a government that is requiring them to do and do certain things and not do certain things. And so it's also controversial because in such a church and state dichotomy, this relationship, there's, there's challenges. Among the religious leaders was this debate. Should we actually pay taxes, pay tribute to a Caesar? He's not our God. He's not our king. God is our king. And there was a debate and they were split as religious leaders as to whether they should because the actual religious leaders themselves had to collect this tax from the people and take it to the government. And so there was another debate when Jesus answers this question, he's immediately splitting, he's, he's got half the people against him. The religious leaders, half of them said, yeah, you should because they allow us to continue our temple, allow us to continue to worship. And, and so let's just compromise, let's pay our taxes, keep them happy, and let's just keep practicing our religion. And you got another half to say, no, that's not the way it should work. We shouldn't answer them, they're corrupt. They beheaded John the Baptist. They're gonna kill Jesus, they're bad, they're all corrupt, they're all, I'm not gonna answer, I'm, no, I'm not gonna pay my taxes. This is wrong for us to require people to do this just because they say it. And so you have this very relevant to our situation today, very real situation. And so Jesus is being set up. And then finally, we know if Jesus answers the question, yes, pay your taxes, well, then the question is, well, I thought you said you were the king. Thought you said you were the ultimate king. Why would you, if you're the ultimate king, tell us to pay tribute to another king? If he says, no, I'm the ultimate king, don't pay tribute to that king because I'm the ultimate king, then he's guilty of sedition and is going to be crucified. Anytime you're dealing with church and state, you're often going to find yourself in what feels like a lose, lose, no win situation. I hate to even bring it up because we're so glad that most of that stuff has passed, but let me just bring it up for a second, forgive me. The mask mandate. You have a secular government that dictated to churches, you have to have, you have to wear a mask. And you all probably didn't have a strong opinion on that. <laughs> or maybe you did. 
And so, what do we do? Do we have to listen to the government? Do we do what we want to do? What's the situation? Well, let's see if we can figure out as we go. So they've put Jesus in what seems to be an impossible situation. Either he'll go against the people who don't want to pay tax, or he'll go against the government who wants to crucify him, or the religious leaders who want to crucify him, or he'll look like he's not really the king, or he'll be accused of charging the people of, accused of sedition. Seems like an impossible situation. So what does he do? Look at verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius. That was the coin they used to pay the tax with. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they were not able in the presence of all the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. They're like, oh, he did it to us again. This guy's good. Jesus, in one simple phrase, one simple action, totally answers their question, is faithful to the government, is faithful to God and his law, is faithful to himself as king. He is incredible. He's brilliant. He's God in flesh. And so what Jesus does with this answer actually puts them on the defense. You see, they are the religious leaders. They've got coin in their pocket, and those coin in their pocket came from the people for the taxes. So all of a sudden, Jesus with his little, well, hey, so Who's got a coin? Oh, you do. Okay, you got their coins in your pocket. So all of a sudden they're like, uh, yeah, I got the coin. And they're like, all right, well, what, what's, what image is on the coin? What's inscribed on the coin? And they said, Caesar, okay. And so in their coin, what they would have seen is Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. That's what would have been written and inscribed on their coin. Tiberius Caesar, son of the God, the divine Augustus. So this is just loaded with possible opportunities for Jesus to say, there is no God but one. Do not pay your taxes. Do not pay tribute to that religious, to that secular government. Do not do that. And what does he say? He says, okay, give to Caesars what's Caesars. So yes, pay your taxes. Sorry, you gotta pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesars. Jesus, of anybody who ever could have said, do not submit to that secular government, didn't say it. He could have said they beheaded Jesus, or they beheaded John the Baptist, my dear friend, the greatest pop prophet, saved Jesus, the greatest prophet that ever lived. They're going to set me up. I know right now they're scheming to, to, to make some false charges against me, and they're gonna, the government's going to go along. They're going to collude. They're all corrupt. They're all into bribes. They're all just, you can't trust a one of them. Don't submit to them. They are ungodly. They're going to kill me. He was well aware of all that when he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. We are to submit to governing authorities as Christians. But he didn't stop there. He said, render to God the things that are God's. 
So let's set this parallel statement up that he says. What image, what bears the image of Caesar? Give to Caesar. What bears the image of God? Give to God. So what bears the image of God? Everything. Especially man and woman. The ultimate image bearers that he created. And what was inscribed on the coin, what's inscribed on the human heart? The human law. The, or the, the God's law. The word of God. So as Christians who bear the image of God, who have the word of God, the will of God, the, the laws of God inscribed on their heart by the Holy Spirit, those who trust in Christ, he says, you render whatever is God's to God's and whatever is Caesar's to Caesar's. And so the marvelous answer here is that he is, he is bringing these two worlds together. That's not easy in our practical life, but it's very helpful for us to think about. When you, let's do a, a deeper dive into what, what we see in the scriptures. In Genesis 1.26, I told y'all, every single thing goes back to Genesis. And if y'all don't believe me, you'll see it. Everything goes back to Genesis. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We all bear the image of God. And let them, these image bearers, have dominion authority, governance over my creation. So God created humanity in his image and then delegated some of his authority that he has over all things. And he says, I'm delegating authority to humans, my image bearers, to govern my universe, my creation. You see, as we think about our relationship with our government, though we think they're crooked, though we think they're corrupt and we don't trust them and they don't do things the way we would do and they don't align with scriptures and all that. We say, first of all, understand there is a higher authority, that God is the ultimate authority and his creation, Romans 1, and all of his people bear his image. So he is over all of us, even the politicians and even the citizens who are subject to those politicians. So humans that God's plan, humans are a part of God's plan to govern his creation. And they are to do it according to his word, according to his authority, and in line with his character. So in a perfect world, God's image bearers are all worshiping God as the supreme authority in their life, and then they govern perfectly according to his will, his character, and his word. But... We live in a fallen world, and it gets real ugly and real messy. There's injustices everywhere. There's corruption. There's scandal. There's every day you open your Twitter feed or, or your news feed, and you'll see there is plenty to get discouraged about. But we have to understand even as messed up as these governmental authorities and these government bodies in general, I'm not referring to anyone in particular that I listed, but in general, these messed up governmental authorities are God's idea. 
This is God's plan. In Genesis 9, 5 through 7, we see the foundations for a government that would be just and provide justice. And it says, and for your lifeblood, I'll require reckoning. From every beast, I'll require it from, and from man. From his fellow man, I'll require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So God created man. And then said, if any one of you kills one of my creations, my governing authorities that I set in place will exact justice. Why? This prevents further bloodshed. This is where we get the idea of capital punishment. There's all kinds of restrictions of multiple witnesses and, and all these guard lo- guardrails around it. But God's plan is that a governing, a group of people will, will make sure that his people have justice and protection. In Romans 13, 1, and in 1 Peter 2, we have extremely clear text. Put your steel-toed boots on now if you brought them. Because your toes, if they're like mine, are about to get stomped. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those that exist right now, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval for he is God's servant. That politician is God's servant. Whether he or she knows it or not. And for your good. But if you do wrong, you should be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We should have a conscience when we resist and go against government. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Why? For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all What is owed them? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. 1 Peter 2.13, if that wasn't enough, I have more for your enjoyment today. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human Institution, surely that's a typo. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. What is God's will for my life? There it is. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance 
of foolish people. That's how we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Not by a tweet, not by a post, but by doing good. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone you agree with. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor your president. The emperor. Wow. I don't have to say anything else. Those words are so clear and so convicting. So what we see in the Bible is that government is God's idea. It's God-ordained institution for the purpose of promoting good in our life, for restraining evil. It's a gift from God. No matter how messed up it is, it is a gift from God. I promise you, if you've been to any foreign countries that borderline on chaos and anarchy, we have a lot to be thankful for. By the design of God, the government bears the sword, which means it has the authority to enforce laws and penalize lawbreakers. So what Jesus is saying to his followers, if you claim to be a Christian, be submissive citizens of the government, but remain Reserve your ultimate allegiance to God. So what's Jesus saying? Submit to your government as far, as long, as much as you possibly can. And only resist if they're asking you or commanding you to sin against Jesus. I think we know that intellectually. That's right here. Anarchy, rebellion, something radical is here. And we're like right here. Most of us. This idea of proactively embracing government, all governments, as a gift from God is foreign to the church today. And it is so clearly taught in scriptures, it's mind-boggling. This is God's idea. He knew this is how it would be. Jesus is talking about religious rulers and secular rulers, governors, who are about to kill him. He's not naive. He says in this text, I know what they're up to. I mean, Luke points that out. He perceived exactly what was going on when he said this. Government is a gift, and we are commanded to submit to them as long as we possibly can, as far as we possibly can. The language used in husband-wife relationship is that this authority that God gives the head of the household, the, the submissive one, the woman, is not to just lay down and let her be walked all over and abused. It says, embrace godly leadership. Embrace that authority as long as you possibly can. 
But if he is trying to lead you into sin, you say no. It's exactly the same teaching. We want to embrace the authority that God has given government as far and as long and proactively as we possibly can until they say, do this. And we say, that's sin, I can't do it. So when they say, wear a mask in church, and we had conversation after conversation, discussing issue after issue in our conference room as a staff. This one thing I kept asking over and over is, Tracy, are we gonna do this? Tracy, we're gonna do that. I said, what does the law say first? Because God has commanded us to obey the law. And then we discuss, is that sin? No then do it. It's not complicated. Obey unless it's sin. Doesn't matter what we think. Doesn't matter what I think. And you can apply that to every law, every politician, every reason you want to give to not obey the law. It's God who put them in place. And he says, obey. And that's not that hard to obey, is it? I'll tell you what's probably harder. Honor, respect, and pray for them. Now, it's getting hard. When I think about what does this teach us, I think, one of the most clear teachings that we need to hear is we ultimately bow the knee to King Jesus. That's our king. And when you say, Lord Jesus, you are my king, you are my God, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to obey that government, that, government, that politician I put over you. And so we need to understand bowing to the government, as long as it's not sin, is bowing to, to King Jesus. Just like kids, bowing to your parents' authority is bowing to King Jesus' authority. And it's not always easy, but that's God's plan and that's God's design. And I want to separate something here. You've got Jesus' authority, you've got King Jesus, you've got God's authority, God's word, and then you've got Religious leaders, let's separate that. And then you've got political leaders, let's separate that. And you've got dads and moms, a parental authority. And you've got teachers at school. You've got all kinds of authority that Jesus has delegated. And we need to separate the fact that that, that authority is not the same as God's authority. But God, when you, when you bow to his authority, says bow to their authority. Because what you can understand is they're always going to let you down but Jesus isn't going to. So when your dad lets you down, that's not Jesus letting you down. When government lets you down, that's not Jesus letting you down. When your, your husband or, or, or your teacher at school, when any religious leader lets you down, that's not the same as Jesus letting you down. But you still have to submit to them as long as they're not leading you to submit to sin. And that's what God says. And we should be thankful that God in his grace has given us a voice. We're not just governed, we're a part of the process. We get to vote. And so when I say all this, it does not mean passivism. 
I say be involved, embrace the political process, vote, strongly support candidates that you do your homework and you best you can decide that they are aligned with scriptures more than any other candidate. So that's the one I'm going to support. Great. I'm not saying we don't, we don't get involved. I mean, that's my tendency. I get so frustrated. I don't trust anybody. So I'm just like, I want to check out. But I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to, to be involved, vote. That's a huge blessing and a gift and a responsibility. But at the end of the day, when it's all settled, the winner is the one that God put in authority over us. And we are to obey and we are to honor and we are to respect and we are to embrace their authority as much as we possibly can, which means we stop with this agenda that our entire culture, every talking head on TV on both sides has one agenda, undermine the person in charge. That's what's going on. It is an absolute agenda to undermine. If that's not who I voted for, I'm not gonna give him credit for anything, nothing. I don't care if he said I'm gonna give free Bibles. Nope, he's crooked. That's got to stop. We've got to be different. We've got to say, God has put this person in that place. And I'm going to look for ways to embrace their authority as much as I possibly can. And I'm going to honor them as much as I possibly can. I'm going to praise them. I'm going to support them. I guarantee you, it takes more courage today to tweet something positive about a president than many other things in life because you will hear about it, brother. We've got to change the way we're responding. Submit as much as you possibly can. This unites us as a church. Let me just, while I'm up here, say one more thing. There are people, this breaks my heart, there are people in this church who are not sure if they can continue being a member of this church because they feel like they are the only one that thinks the way they think politically. This is not a Republican church. This is not a Democratic church. This is a church united on the authority of Jesus Christ and no one else. And we can disagree Some people are nuanced thinkers. Some people are black and white thinkers. And we need each other. I need both on my staff. I'm very appreciative for the black and white thinkers. I'm very appreciative for the nuanced thinkers. The black and white thinkers can't say, there's one issue, and if you don't agree, you're not a Christian. It's not that simple. It may be for you, and I'm glad you have those convictions. But it is not that way for everyone. And we don't claim one political party over another. We claim Jesus, and that should unite us, and that should be what we are all about, is King Jesus and nothing else. We also should vote, as I've said. We also should support and embrace as much as we can, and finally, we need to pray. And so I looked those leaders up. Those are the leaders for where I live, and I've been convicted. I don't pray for them. I check out. But we need to pray. We need to honor. 
We need to love. We need to speak good kindness. We need to change the way this world is living. And it starts with us. Because you know why? God put them there. Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Father, we need your help this morning. This is tough. This is hard. Help us to trust you, Lord. You, Jesus, died on the cross for our sins. You are the ultimate authority in our life. We lay our, any authority we have at your feet, and we ask you, how can we use it to glorify you? Lord, thank you for offering Jesus as our king who will never let us down, worthy to be trust with all of our allegiance. Help us to be faithful to King Jesus, including this area where he says, submit to governing authorities. Lord, help us be kind and gracious with our words. Help us to pray for our, our governing authorities. Help us to honor and respect them and to promote the good things that we can find. Help us to look for things that we can praise them for and appreciate publicly. Help us to promote godliness in our government too. Help us to vote. But Lord, help us to be faithful, to trust. Lord, help us. Lord, help us not, when we deal with with, a government, help us not to live with this sense of panic and crisis. But help us to remember that you are on your throne. You place these leaders here. You are faithful. We can stay calm and have peace. We don't have to panic. We can speak and debate and discuss and figure out the best way forward, but we don't need to be as the church of people that are freaking out thinking our world is coming to an end because you are still on your throne. And that gives us peace and calm and confidence to continue to serve you and glorify you. Help us to do that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.